Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, my name is Rob Gray, and today I will be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14 and 27 through 31. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and all were given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part, but many. You are the body of Christ and parts of each other. In the church, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, the ability to help others, leadership skills, different kinds of tongues. All aren't apostles, are they? All aren't prophets, are they? All aren't teachers, are they? All don't have gifts of healing, do they? All don't speak different tongues, do they? All don't interpret, do they? Use your ambition to try to get the greater gifts, and I'm going to show you an even better way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rob, thanks for reading the scripture today. We appreciate it, and a little help by the cardinal uh, in there, too. That's pretty cool. That's nice, nice little accompaniment. Well, the, uh, the tragic and unthinkable happened close to home uh, yesterday um, to our neighbors, uh, Alan. Uh, we grieve with them. Um, there's a lot, of course, that people want to say and, and will say all over the place. Um, I do think it's important in these times to make sure that we remember uh, the loss, the, the people affected, the people, uh, not only those who died, those who were injured, but then their families and their caretakers and their friends and the, the first responders and the store, the store workers who witnessed these things, things that you can't unsee. I think often those kinds of things, we just jump right over that and talk about other things. Well, I want to just invite you into a time of prayer, just silent prayer for just a few moments, and then I'll close uh, with my own prayer. So if you would be in silent prayer for just a moment. Oh God, we thank you that when we have no words, you hear the prayers of our spirits. The Bible says that, that, when, that you hear our groanings and sighs that are too deep for words. Feels like we do a lot of that these days. This one strikes closer to home, and, and we may, some in, in this worship space, may know somebody who was affected by this shooting. So God, we pray for prayers. We pray for your presence. We pray for uh, healing. We pray for wisdom and discernment. We pray for all impacted by this. Restore to us, oh God, the joy of your salvation. Restore to us the power of your spirit so that we can be the people that you intend and the church that you created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So, <clears throat> sports are a big deal in North Texas, right? <laughs> Everybody chuckles. Same with the 945. <laughs> yeah, big deal. Yeah, I um, mean, you got Friday Night Lights. Uh, you got the Soccer Hall of Fame in Frisco. You got the NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, PGA headquarters, Texas Motor Speedway. There's no shortage of sporting events and sporting venues around here. I heard a speaker a couple of weeks ago who said, uh, you know, some places have beaches, some places have mountains, North Texas has sports. And I think that's pretty true. And so if you live here, you're kind of inundated with sports. Even if you're not a big sports fan um, yourself, you're just around sports. And so it's, so the team concept applied to uh, what Paul is talking about, that's pretty familiar to us. The notion of a team and how it works together. Because everyone on the team has their own position and their own role, right? Everybody has that. And, and so each person has to make sure that they are at their best. They have to do the conditioning. They've got to do the, the strength training. They've got to do the, everything. I'll go through all the drills, whatever it is, to be ready so that when they're together as a team, they can be at their best. But then they've got to work together, right? It's not just however many uh, athletes, each one just kind of on their own. No, they've got to work together. They've got to work in harmony. They've got to work in unity together so that they can achieve their goal. Now, now, it's not uniformity. I use the word unity. Sometimes people misunderstand. It's not uniformity. Not everybody can be the star wide receiver. Not everybody can be the pitcher. Not everybody can be the goalie. I mean, it's, but it's unity and how it works together. So if they can achieve their goal, and their goal, of course, is to win. The goal is to win. We like winners. We want to be on the winning team, even if it's just wearing the jersey of the winning team. We want to be on the winning team. And when a team begins to lose, well, we threaten. I'm not going to be a fan anymore. I'm not going to do it. Can't do it anymore. I was in a conversation recently. There were three of us, and one of the people was just going on and on about how the Rangers are on top in their division. And the other person and I about, really kind of at the same time said, and this was a couple of weeks ago, he said, it's April. Just wait. <laughs> Don't get too excited yet. We've seen this before, right? And so you kind of, you well, I'm not going to root for the Rangers unless they do keep winning. And then you're, then you're in there, right? Then you're, oh, yeah, we're, because we like winning. Many championship teams have won because they really function well together as a team. Uh, they may, may not have even had as their skill players might not have been as good as the other team, but they worked so well together as a team that they that they won. So we can understand Paul's teaching in First Corinthians twelve about how every part and every position has its role. Everyone is essential to the team. Yes, I know a quarterback is super super important, but take away the right guard. And all of a sudden, the quarterback's not so great. The whole team, every member of the team is important. So we, so we get that. But there's a problem with applying the idea of a sports team to the Christian faith and to life in the church. I mean, there's some analogies, sure, that you can draw some, some things together, but, but there's a problem with that because the Christian faith and, and life in the church 
is not about winning. It's not about winning. So, so maybe we need to think about this a little more deeply <clears throat> than thinking of uh, the unity of the body of Christ and sports teams. Maybe we need to consider some other things. Let's think about the context that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians. In the society in that day and time, in the first century, and this was pretty true across the ancient world, everywhere, is that you had elites and you had peasants. I mean, that was, it was, I mean, it was the haves and the have-nots on steroids. There was nothing in the middle. You had, in that day and time, a variety of cultural and religious backgrounds, especially in Corinth. I know in Texas we say Corinth. Most people in the Bible say it's Corinth. So in Corinth, that you have uh, trade routes going through there, uh, a seaport nearby. I mean, all kinds of people around the world would go through Corinth one way or another. And so we had all these different backgrounds there. And, of course, the Roman Empire was was, uh, in charge. And so you had that going on in society, and, and so the, in, in the writings of that day in the Roman Empire, there, there were writings that did talk about the human body as an analogy for how the Roman Empire worked. And so in that case, the head of the body, of course, was the emperor. And it was the emperor who told the rest of the body what to do and how to do it. So you had... Um, you had people who had, were assigned different, different levels of importance. Because, I mean, it was truly a hierarchy. With the head, the Roman Empire was most important, and then as you went, well, other things became less and less important. And in that day and time, remember, uh, in the ancient world, uh, they had very different kinds of uh, uh, ways to clean themselves, which was not much, and so their hands and feet were always dirty. Oh, unless you're the elites. And so, even in their body analogy, well, you need your hands and feet to do the dirty work that the elites don't want to do. And that was the peasant class. So this also fit with a, uh, the Stoic philosophy of that day, uh, a notion of unity, and in the unity of the Stoic philosophy, the Roman Empire was in the center, and, and it worked well because the elites in the center, the small number of elites in the center, controlled the, the peasants, controlled the lower class. That's how it worked. So imagine, in that kind of societal setup, imagine that then there's these people that hear about Jesus Christ, and they begin to be, they're persuaded. They're persuaded. This guy really is the Son of God. And they begin to believe, and they say, oh, they find out, oh, there's a, a, a thing called a church and so we're, we can go there and so they begin to go there so all these people from all these different backgrounds elites and peasants and those with a Jewish background those from a pagan background those from different parts of the known world at that day, day and time they all come together to go to church <laughs> well how's that going to look how's that going to look what do you think well human nature is is that we tend to play out the roles that we know, what, what we're familiar with, right? So there were significant conflicts of practice and values in that early church because the people just came from different walks of life. 
Well, one of the issues they were having was they, they, in that church, they, they weren't viewing all the different spiritual gifts in the same way. As a matter of fact, they gave them kind of a ranking order of what was really important and what was not. You know, the spiritual gifts, the, the idea that when, when uh, you've uh, dedicated your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in your life, the Holy Spirit gives you gifts to use for the sake of the ministry of the church, the use for uh, God's mission in the world. And, and that can be all kinds of things. That there, there can be leadership gifts. It can be teaching. It can be administration. It can be acts of care, acts of mercy. Uh, all kinds of things that some people are just really, really great at. Well, in the church, they began to see some as more important than the others. Now, it doesn't say it this way, but I, I have a feeling, I have a feeling that... Whatever spiritual gifts the elites had were the really important ones. I have a feeling. So they were ranking these gifts. And if you had the gift of, like, service, well, yeah, you're, you're one of the hands and feet people. Sure. Now, the other issue they were having, in addition to the misunderstanding uh, of, the, uh, of the gifts, is uh, it was in communion, interestingly. Because you go back to chapter 11. Go back to chapter 11 in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, and the problem is, is that when they gathered as church and they were going to have communion, well, you know where they had to gather, right? They didn't have church buildings in those days. They had to gather in a place that was large enough to have people gathered, and so that would be in the home of an elite. So they would gather for church, and they were going to have communion. Well, the elites were kind of taking it as a party. To them, it was like, oh, look at that bread. Oh, let's eat bread. And let's, oh, oh, and there's wine. Oh, let's. And they were treating it as a party. And some of these peasants who had come to church, they didn't have enough to eat that day, period. And here's the elites having a little party. Well, Paul's saying, okay, this is a problem. This is a problem. You're not there for a party, you're there to conform your life to the image of Christ. And you're not doing that. So, so when Paul writes about the body of Christ, he takes a different approach than what is in the other the Roman literature. Because you see, the further problem is that some of the Corinthian church were living by their cultural norms of hierarchy instead of Jesus' teaching and example. So there is a solution, but it comes with a challenge. <laughs> you see, Paul says Jesus eliminated the divisions. It said in that scripture that Rob read, there's no longer, not Jew or Greek, slave or free. Jesus has obliterated those kinds of distinctions. So he has done that and accomplished the unity that God intends that values all people equally. With all their different giftedness and all their different skills and their different backgrounds, that God views them all the same. So Paul uses the body analogy as the Romans did, but he, but he wrote about it in a way that each part was equal. There's, there's a line in a section that we skipped because it, it was a long section that said um, that the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. you know, the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. No, because we need all parts of the body, and that's true in the church as well. So... If that's, if, that, if that's kind of the challenge and the problem with viewing what Paul's talking about as a sports team, what maybe we need to expand and think about a different kind of image of a team. Because there are other kinds of teams. I mean, certainly we have work teams in a lot of workplaces. But there are other kinds of 
activities where people have to work as a team. We just don't call it a team. I mean, think of music. Think of music groups. The band that plays for us on Sunday mornings leads us in worship. Think of an orchestra. Think of whatever, some group, a a chorus, a, a choir. Everybody needs to work on their own skills and their own abilities, right? And everybody has their own instrument. You can't, you can't all be the drummer, as wonderful as that would be. You can't all be the drummer. You've got to have somebody to play other instruments. And everybody has to be at their best so that when you come together, you work together. And generally, most music groups have some kind of director. Orchestras have a conductor, right? And when, when all of it was time to start and all the orchestra is seated and they've done their tuning and, and they're ready and the, and the last person to walk out is the conductor and everybody, you know, rousing applause for the conductor because the conductor's super important, right? Except, you know, the conductor doesn't make a sound. He, doesn't make a, he or she doesn't make a sound. But they direct the musicians in such a way that together they produce incredible music. Because they're all doing their individual uh, instruments and the ways they're supposed to do them, but they're doing it influenced by the direction of the conductor. So that they can do a unified presentation of music. And so they do that. So what's the goal of music? Have you ever thought about that? What's the goal of music? And it's not about winning. I know there are contests. I know there are. And I know the, the, the band goes to contest and the drill team. And the, I understand that. But even at that, in an educational context, the notion of contest is to help make you better. So what's the goal of music? So, you know, the other day, I listened to a lot of music, and, and uh, the other day, a song came on that was from the 70s. From the 70s. And I mean, Mary and I just started singing. It had been years. I'm, it's had to have been, well, I won't say how many years. It's been a long, long time since I'd heard that song. But I'd heard it so much, I remembered it. And when you remember you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that song. See what happened to my face right there? Like, yeah. Music is life-giving. I mean, there's something about music that, what the goal of music, it's, it's to affect you, to change you. Because sometimes, you've no doubt heard music, uh, and you felt, man, you were like inspired. I'm ready to go, man. Some, some athletes, right, they're listening to music before their match, before their game, before their whatever, and it's to get them hyped up. Sometimes you hear music and it's very, it's very peaceful. And you're just like, wow, that is so peaceful. You know, it's, music is to affect us somehow. And it does. But imagine, what if you went to some kind of, uh, uh, some kind of musical performance of a group? Let's just say it's an orchestra. Let's say it's a big old orchestra and there's 75 people on stage. And, and then the conductor walks out, and the conductor is ready to go and begins to conduct this, this assembly of musicians. But there's this one musician that you can tell thinks they are the best thing in the world. It's maybe they play trombone. Maybe, maybe it's a violin. And they, and they play louder than anybody else. And they, and, and they play out of time with the other. They don't keep the right tempo. I mean, they play, play it faster. They play it slower. And they're just doing their own thing. 
What are you going to remember about that concert? You remember the one, right? All 74 of them might have been doing great. <laughs> but you remember that one. You probably know that uh, there's all kinds of studies that happen uh, about the church and, and life in the church and church statistics and demographics and all those kinds of things. And, and there's been studies over recent years about uh, this difference of people who go to church and those who don't go to church, right? And so, okay, of the people who don't go to church, why is it? What are your reasons for not going to church? Now, there's a lot of different reasons that people speak of. One of the, one of the frequently heard reasons is I don't go to church because I see the way they act. If that's what it means to go to church, I don't want to go to church. Now, what they're referring to is not the 74 people who are fine. It's somebody who's gone off and they've said ugly things and they've done mean things and they've, they've been judgmental and they've, uh, they've isolated uh, themselves from other people and they condemn other people and they... It may just be one person. So when Paul talks about the unity of the body, it's for all of us to be in this together. It's for all of us. And at the end of that, of that reading, you might remember, it's at the, this is the last verse of chapter 12, he says, and I will show you an even better way. And when you turn the page... You're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We refer to it often as the love chapter, right? And, he's, and, and, and he just, it's just seamless how he goes right from this talk about how we are being unified as the church, as the body of Christ, and right into, and that means it is driven by love. That was, one commentator said, really, the entirety of 1 Corinthians could be called the, a book on love for the church. Because Paul goes in, you know, says, you know, love is patient, it is kind. It is not arrogant or boastful or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It does not keep a record of wrongs. That if we live that way, it unifies us. It unifies us. We were baptized into that life. One baptism. We are baptized into the body of Christ. We love because God first loved us. And what God intends in the church is that the church becomes a foretaste of heaven. That people would get an idea of what heaven will be like because they're in the church. That's, that's the solution and that's the challenge, isn't it? Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.